0: So this is our final week in 2 Timothy. Uh, this is bittersweet, um, especially for me. Hopefully you've enjoyed it half as much. Reading the letter to this Pastor Timothy, it's been such an encouragement for me. I, I've learned so much. And so we're coming to the end of the letter, uh, which as we've said several times in this book, is also the end of Paul's life. And last week we talked about how getting to the end of your life draws some clarity, and and so as... Paul draws closer to seeing his Savior face to face. The one who is faithful and true. The one who he has relied on. The one who he has ministered for and unto all these years. For 35 years, Paul ministered. And uh, now this will be the last city he ever sees. The city of Rome. He's in a jail cell awaiting his trial and uh, martyrdom. And so there is a bitter sweetness leaving this earth, but going to see his Savior, and a bitter sweetness leaving this book. Um, But I want us to go back. At the end of Paul's life, I want us to look at the beginning of Paul's life, as this will be helpful as we see where he's come. Because long before he followed Christ, he was a Pharisee. And in his heart was a murderous desire to pursue and persecute the church of Christ. He committed evil deeds in his heart. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, or more accurately, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, everything changed. His life would never be the same And he would follow in his Lord's footsteps until his death. And so one of the things we're going to see in this sermon uh, is the parallels between Paul and Christ at the end of his life. Uh, There's also going to be many parallel passages, many of them from Acts. Uh, There are so many texts that describe and expound on Paul's ministry. So get very familiar with where the book of Acts is. We're going to start with the beginning of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to see the Lord's purpose to call Paul to use him and preserve him. And so then as we go through, we'll see the parallels for the Christian life for us as well. So right at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, this is kind of the dividing line in the book. Up to this point, Jerusalem is the focus. And the original 12 apostles are the focus. But then here, uh, Paul becomes the focus. But we have to know who Paul is before we can see how amazing this letter is at the end of Paul's life. This is Paul. So uh, just a quick note. A lot of people think, well, when he was converted, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. No. In those days, most people had two names. This is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. That's all that is. So Saul... Associating with the Hebrews now, notice when his ministry goes to the Gentiles, he takes on his Greek name and leaves his Hebrew name behind. But here, very much a Pharisee, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? This is very interesting because he clearly knows who the Lord is, who the one he's speaking to is in this letter. Then the response comes from heaven, I am Jesus. Notice, he says, why are you persecuting me? Paul had never met Jesus while he was on earth. But every time he persecuted those who belonged to him, every time he persecuted his bride, the ones united to him, he was persecuting Christ himself. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. Okay, so that's the beginning of Paul's conversion. And so we'll, we'll be kind of jumping back and forth. But I want you to see, we, we've talked about this, this race analogy. Uh, Paul's at the very end of his race. Uh, it's, it's not glamorous. He's sitting in a jail cell. He's in his late 70s. He's, he's moving slowly. Um, he, but he is not discouraged. He may not be running physically, but he is sprinting with his pen. And his soul is very much alive. One of the first things I want you to see between Paul and Jesus is, uh, John's gospel especially shows us the last night of Jesus' life. From chapter 13 on. We see the last night of Jesus' life in chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. All of these encouragements that the church has. Jesus, on his final night before the betrayal and the crucifixion, wants the disciples to know what is most important. Paul, in his final letter, wants those closest to him, Timothy being the closest, to know what is most important. And so I'm going to focus on this lasting benediction to the book. Benediction, just a Latin word for good word, benediction. I don't know Latin, but I know those two things. Um, Good word or uh, good word indeed. And so the benediction is actually only one verse, verse 22, but... I think reading verse 17 and 18 leads it well into that. So verse 17, uh, and you, you'll see the connection here in a moment. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every deed, evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we love you. We praise you. You are steadfast. For those in this room who belong to you, we know how comforting those words are. The Lord be with you. Grace be with you. In Christ, you are with us. In Christ, we have grace upon grace upon grace without measure. There's no shadow of turning. We, saw it, we sang so many great songs leading up to this. The throne of grace, which we approach. The stillness of our soul in the trying times. The greatness of our God when the difficulties of life come. We sing those because they're true because we have to, because we need to. We need those reminders. Not because you change, but because we easily forget. Lord, I just ask that this would be an encouragement this morning, that your spirit would speak through your word, that you would uh, strengthen your people, embolden your people, comfort your people, that we would live with the hope and expectation that Paul lived with, because there is a heavenly kingdom. That you are preparing for us, and you will call us to one day. And it would call, and I ask that it would f- cause us to run and finish our race well, sprinting through the finish, because we get to see you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Um, recapping a bit from last week, verse sixteen. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Um, We mentioned last week, this is either a a pretrial to this particular hearing, to this particular imprisonment, or it's his previous trial and imprisonment in Rome a few years earlier. Either way, the point is, no one stood by him. This is another connection, like his Lord at the cross. All the disciples deserted. They all scattered. And it would be easy for Paul in this moment... No one would fault Paul in this moment for being discouraged. No one would fault Paul in this moment for being angry. But what does Paul do? Is so uncharacteristic. This is not a fleshly response. May it not be charged against them. Think about that. You are standing before a Roman tribunal. You will most likely be sentenced to death, you will be sent to prison, you will be robbed of your freedom and your rights he doesn't hold it against them. Our Savior on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen, as he's being stoned, said, Lord, forgive them. Paul says of his brothers who deserted him, may it not be charged against him. How can Paul be so gracious? How can he be so forgiving? Because he knows the grace that he's received. He knows that his sins are no longer charged against him. He knows how great a forgiveness he's been given. And where does Paul get this perspective? Verse 17, but the Lord. I want to just stop there for a moment. Because I don't think we stop and think enough. We don't do this enough. But the Lord. Paul uses this contrast often. Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are walking according to the wicked ways of this world. But God being rich in mercy. The gospel is a declaration of but God. All sinfulness comes from us, but all goodness comes from him. I was deserted. I was alone. I'm being ready to be killed. But the Lord. Again in this. He is like his Lord. He is like his Savior. Jesus says almost the very same thing. John 16. We've looked at John 16, 33 quite a bit. But if you go one verse earlier, here's the context of John 16, 33. I want to read both of them. Again, this is the last night of Jesus' ministry. He's going to go to the cross, and, or he's going to go to the garden, And just a few hours and pray and be delivered over. Here's what he says. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, but I am not alone, for the Father is with me. This is the context of which he says... I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Here's that contrast again. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In him you have peace. How is Paul so confident he knows his Savior? He knows he's the same yesterday, today, forever. The one who is, the one who who was, who is, and who is to come. The Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty God. He is unchanging. Paul knows that if Christ has overcome the world, if I have peace in him, what should I fear? If I am in Christ and Christ is in God, the Father was always with my Lord. He's always with me. Do you think about this? I want to ask you believers. How often do you, you've heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses. How often have you just stopped and smelled your salvation? It sounds funny, but why do we say stop and smell the roses? Because we're so busy, especially us. So many things, bouncing here or there. We've always got something else to do. How often do we just stop and enjoy something as simple and beautiful as a rose? How much more beautiful is our salvation? How often do we just stop, put our phones down, turn off the TV, sit in quiet, and just reflect on how great a salvation we have? How often do you meditate on but God? The Gossins, born in iniquity, conceived in sin, passed down from my father Adam. Everything I contribute is sin. The depravity of my nature bleeds through all of my veins, my thoughts, my emotions. I can't do anything good in the sight of God. But God being rich in mercy. But the Lord and his grace sent his son to be the righteousness that I couldn't be. Sent his son to stand in my place send his son to love me and die for me show me mercy and grace and not just grace for past sins not just grace for sins that i am aware enough to ask for forgiveness for but every sin i will ever commit in christ are forgiven this is the gospel this is the lord this is why paul is not discouraged He remembers who his God is. He remembers the gospel. And I hope you do that. When you you struggle, when you're afraid, when you're discouraged, when it seems like everything has stopped against you, stop and remind yourself, but God, but the Lord. Here's how Paul reminds himself and he reminds Timothy going on. But the Lord stood by me. This is a theme for Paul. The Lord never left him. Paul was going to be used for God's purposes. There's a couple instances in Acts where it's interesting to see this, this language. Acts 23, 11. Notice Luke employs the same phrase here. And why was it that the Lord was with Paul? The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. There's a theme here. Paul is called as the apostle to the Gentiles. The Lord stood by him because the Lord had a purpose for him. Again, in chapter 27, this is the, uh, the uh, marine chapter where they spend all this time on a boat and they're, they're, they're facing shipwreck. He says in, in verse 23 of chapter 7, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God. The Lord is always with Paul. To whom I belong and who I worship, whom I worship. And he said to those in the boat, do not be afraid. Or says, says to Paul, Paul, um, do not be afraid. You stand before, C- you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you uh, all those who sail with you, so take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. There's this, this synthesis of God standing by Paul so that Paul can stand where God would have him go. How would our trials and our difficulty be different if we pictured and remember that in Christ, the Lord is, stands with us? Always. How would things in our lives be different when we feel like we're far from God? If we're consistent in our theology, we know our God is sovereign. We know our God is omnipotent. We know our God is omnipresent. We know our God is never far from his people. But man, it feels like it sometimes. How different would trials and suffering and pain be? This is why Paul can approach prison the way he does. He knows that the Lord stood by him at all times. One of our favorite examples of this is the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk into this oven that would put Hitler and the Nazis to shame. To be incinerated before you even reach the door. Three men are sent in, but how many are walking around? There's four. These faithful Israelites in wicked Babylon, one like a son of man is walking with them. An angel of the Lord. Either way, the presence of God is with his people, especially in the fire. I love their declaration before walking in. Our God can and will save us, but even if he doesn't, we will always praise his name. We will never bow to your God. Know that that in Christ you are never alone. Do you know that as it gets hotter, He is ever more close to you? I think we forget; we get so consumed with our own circumstances we forget to trust in the Lord. Paul has a great reminder for us: in prison, I know the Lord is standing by me. And notice, He's not just standing. We do not have a God who is, who is disconnected from his people, who is apart from, it, from his people. He is also strengthening him. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So, it's a good question. Okay, what does it mean for Paul to be strengthened? If only we had a picture. If only Paul gave us a picture of what the strength of the Lord looked like to Paul. We have one, Ephesians 6. We know uh, there's, a, there's so many of these great children's lessons that we're getting in our, in our text today. The fiery furnace, the whole armor of God. Um, if you grew up in the church, you probably had a uh, felt board where you get to put the little helmet and the uh, belt and the uh, shield on, on, on the soldier. And those are good things, and we should learn those things. But why does Paul say it? Why does Paul go to such great detail And each one of these aspects of the whole armor of God. Notice the context. Notice why Paul is calling upon the whole armor of God and what he seeks to do in the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Paul is describing his strength for ministry here. It's all one thought. Because notice what comes immediately after. Put on the whole armor of God. Where does Paul, Paul, what's your secret? Where does your strength come from? And why? That shows us purpose. Put on the whole armor of God, that, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is how Paul stands in face of opposition. And he reminds them of the, the, the plane of their warfare. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The greatest battlefields are not the ones where people are shooting at you. It's the ones where your soul is being attacked. It's the, 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 the spiritual battlefields of lost family members who are antagonistic to the gospel. When all the situations of your life weigh on you so that you begin to doubt God and doubt his goodness. When the enemies of the gospel seem to be winning, that, those are the real battlegrounds. And what does Paul say in those battlegrounds? Where does he find his strength? Take up the whole armor of God, he says in verse 13. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Notice. The Lord stands by him so he can stand. Notice the emphasis of stand here. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul is dressing up a soldier here. Getting him ready for the battlefield in every aspect. Is what he has been given in Christ. The belt of truth. The breastplate to cover your chest of righteousness. The shoes on your feet. Having, been, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation the, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul is a weary old man. He is sitting in this jail cell with his armor intact. There's probably some arrows that were broken off in his shield. There's probably some scratches and some dents on his breastplate. His sword is covered in dings and blood. His helmet has saved his head many times. The truth has kept his armor in place. The shoes on his feet have kept him steady. But he is standing because it is the Lord's strength. It is the armor of God. And I think we often misread texts like this and think, I must put this armor on. I must strap myself up. I must get myself ready for battle. No, these are given to you. These are yours in Christ. You just have to remember that you have them on. And so he goes on. This is how it connects to his ministry. To that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication uh, for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This also is a uh, parallel to the calling in Paul's ministry. Back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 19b to 22. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There's a source of Paul's strength. Meditating on who Christ is. By ministry, by employing the gospel, Paul is strengthened. And he continues to be strengthened. We see the same thing at the beginning of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy talks about this strength. I'm leaning in really heavy here because uh, this will help us when we get to the end. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's life in a snapshot. I was chief among sinners; God, being merciful to me, strengthened me for ministry for the Gentiles, and I will praise Him for it. That is what the, the strength of Paul looks like. But I think it's worth saying uh, that this is not people's favorite verse to misapply. You probably have a Philippians four thirteen bracelet on right now. Some of you, if not, you got a bumper sticker T-shirt. You know, uh, your, your, your uh, marathon shirt has it on the back, right? Um, you know, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. The American translation of that is, I can do whatever I want because Christ wants me to do me. I can climb a hill. I can shoot threes. I can run a, a, a marathon. It's like a Christian Gatorade commercial. I can do all the stuff I want to do because Christ wants me to be my best me. But if you read the context of Philippians 4, if you read the context of Paul here in prison, what this means, what in fact Paul is saying, is I can do all things, I can endure all things. Poverty, riches, freedom, imprisonment, the highs of life, the lows of life. Christ is my strength every day and in everything. All things are done in Christ to his glory. Brothers and sisters, Do you know that you can call upon Christ for strength? Do you know that he is your strength, not just when you're on the basketball court, but when you're dealing with crying babies or pleading with a lost family member to put their their trust in Christ? Do you know that he is your strength in all situations? And why? Why? Why is the Lord standing by Paul? Why is the Lord strengthening Paul? So that, verse 17 back in 2 Timothy 4, so that through me. This is the purpose of the standing, the strengthening, the armor. The Lord has a plan for Paul. The Lord uses messengers for his message. Our God is a master builder, as the writer of Hebrews says. He's building this house. And he uses instruments, he uses tools, he uses vessels, he uses servants, he uses workers. And he uses them for his kingdom, for his name, to glorify his self. The Lord is doing all this that through Paul the message might be fully proclaimed. This is the message that Alexander opposed a moment ago. This is what makes him an enemy of God. He's an enemy of the message. But this is what Timothy is the guard. The good deposit. The faith, the standard given from Paul. Paul tells Timothy, you are ministers of this message. You are a minister of this message. Raise up other men, other ministers of this message. Brothers and sisters, we are ministers of this message. But here's where I want you to find encouragement. Because sometimes there's even still a doubt. Well, what if I face opposition? What if things don't go the way I think they should? How can we be so sure that the Lord will sustain us in ministry? Don't miss this. Because he uses us for his purpose. It's his message, his kingdom, his ministry. Why will God sustain us in ministry? Because it's in God's best interest. Because it is for Christ. His purposes will not fail because he will not fail does not mean we will always have success in our eyes. But it does mean that everything God set out to, sets out to accomplish will be accomplished. And he uses Paul. And he uses Timothy. And he uses Titus. And he uses us to accomplish his purpose, to build his kingdom, to glorify his son. Did you ever think about that? that that's what makes ministry an encouraging and empowering endeavor. Because it is in God's best interest... For God's glory, he started it. He will complete it. We get discouraged because we think we start it and we have to complete it. Get over yourself. You're a tool. You're not the builder. We've got a great builder. He's good and he does not fail. So when he stands by Paul and strengthens Paul, this message must be fully proclaimed. Paul told Timothy, preach it in and out of season. Paul didn't shrink back from the whole counsel of God. Wherever the the Lord took him, he took his call as uh, missionary, apostle to the Gentiles, seriously. Going back to Acts 9, Acts 9, 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul knew this from the very beginning. He was called to the Gentiles. This is his ministry. Paul explains it further in Romans 15. Such a great text. He, he, he finishes his magnum opus. The, the book of Romans. By summarizing his ministry. Verse 14 of chapter 15. I myself am satisfied about you. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But in some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace of God given to me. Here we go. God gave grace to Paul to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be an acceptable may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The fruit of Paul's ministry is an offering that is acceptable to God. The, the, the spirit working in the hearts of those who are outside of the nation of Israel is worship and it is pleasing to God. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have the reason to be proud of my work for God. But I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyrium, I can't pronounce these words today, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Here's another point where we should just stop and reflect and rejoice. Why did the Lord stand by Paul? Why did the Lord strengthen Paul and use him to fulfill the ministry? So that the apostle to the Gentiles might have fruit to his ministry. Brothers and sisters, we are the fruit to the ministry. Every time we read Paul's epistle to the Romans, every time we read Paul's epistle to the Corinthian church, every time we read the epistle to the Galatians and Ephesians, that we're still reading, every time we open our Bibles, that instrument, the apostle to the Gentiles, is still ministering to us. His ministry is still effective today. This is how God uses instruments. Men, I wish, don't we wish our tools would last half this long? For 2,000 years, this one instrument that the Lord pulls out of Pharisaism, that the Lord redeems for a purpose, we are still benefiting from that today. God is playing a long game. We're so impatient. We're so trivial. We get stuck in today. God knew that he would call this one man, Paul, who would plant churches, who would encourage churches, who would preach, who would write, and we would still be bearing fruit and being blessed by that today. And the church will be blessed by this tool until Christ returns. And so for this reason, Paul says, I was rescued. From the lion's mouth. Does um, this say literal lion's mouth? We don't know. Caesar, Rome, Satan. Um, all these things essentially mean the same thing. Death. The Lord kept Paul alive. I'm not finished with you yet. I've delivered you for this purpose. To plant, preach, write, encourage. Here's another one of our favorite children's stories. Daniel and the lion's den. Why do we love the, the, the idea of Daniel sitting there with these these ferocious beasts just petting them because it shows us how great our God is, how powerful our God is. You know why we love reading the story to children? Because when you're a child, nothing is more frightening than a lion. But our God silences lions in a moment, turns them into harmless little house cats. Paul says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. If a lion can't eat if Satan can't devour me, what, who, who am I to fear? What am I to fear? Paul is alive because the Lord's purpose is, is not complete. So it is with us. You are here today because the Lord is not finished with you. The Lord rescues his people from temporary trials because he has greater aims. And that is a reminder that every day of your life is numbered. Every breath is known. You cannot be taken from it one moment sooner. You can't stretch it out one moment longer. But God is sovereign over every bit of it. and So Paul can look back fondly in his rescue. So I want to set that up fully. Because when we get to 18, we're going to bring all those themes into verse 18. The Lord has rescued me the lord will rescue me since the lord rescued paul before he knows that he'll be rescued again if god already rescued me from the mouth of the lion how could he not i, I not expect him to rescue me from every other evil so when paul says here the lord will rescue me from every evil deed is this paul naming it and claiming it like, is this is this is this paul saying um all right you know no weapon formed against me shall prosper meaning i'm gonna get all green lights on the way to work and uh nothing's ever gonna go difficult you've been in those churches you've you've at least seen them no remember paul anticipates his death he knows death is coming verse six the same chapter i am already being poured out as a drink offering my time of departure has come every evil deed paul's referring to his own evil and the evil that those in Rome may do to him it's only temporary remember what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell this is what Paul is saying every evil whatever you throw at me do your best Satan do your best Rome do your best Caesar Get as evil as you want because you can only kill me once. I have a soul that will never perish. And so that is the encouragement that Timothy should hear and we should hear. When we read this, we remember that Christ is our Lord. Paul is our brother. Paul is not ranked above us. Paul is an example. We follow Paul as he follows Christ. Our God rescues his people. If Paul has this confidence, we should have this confidence because we are his people. And we have the greatest guarantee of our rescue on the cross because it was at the cross where Christ rescued us from every evil, primarily our own. But anything that had to be done or paid for was done on that hill. Now, does that mean that we're Always going to be rescued from every situation or every difficulty exactly when, when, when we should. This is where we get selfish and we put ourselves before the Lord. Of course not. Because I want to remind you, Paul wrote this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. I want you to read this list next time you start to think your life is tough. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. 5 times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. He said a moment ago, almost to death. 3 times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 3 times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. But a couple chapters earlier, he calls those light momentary afflictions. I love chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This will be a key text for our ladies next week. We're going to be talking about seeing God in suffering. So when Paul speaks to Timothy here, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This is where Paul fixes his eyes. He's not worried about the stoning. He's not worried about the shipwreck. He's not worried about the pain. Those things are in the past. But he says here, and will bring me or by he will rescue me by bringing me safely into his heavenly kingdom this is the finish line this is the home this is paul's home the kingdom of heaven is our resting place the rescue was assured on the cross it is complete in this kingdom there is no evil in this kingdom that's what paul has in mind this is eternal permanent rescue every other rescue is just temporary. I think so often we get caught up in the trivial stuff. What would be the point of being acquitted from a parking ticket and petty theft? But you get capital punishment for murder. I think so often we want to be delivered from this right now because I'm so consumed with today. Paul's like, jail's nothing. Imprisonment's nothing. Shipwreck's nothing. I have a heavenly kingdom to go home to. Satan would love to devour me, but he can have my body. I'll take my licks in this world. Because Christ will bring me home. That's Paul's perspective at the end of his life. We looked at Romans 8 last week. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Heights or depths or dominions or powers. Nothing. Because we are his. We looked at Philippians to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is why he exclaims at this point, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. best thing you've ever eaten maybe you're not a food person i don't even know how to talk to you but for the rest of us the juicy steak that savory salty thing that rich cookie whatever it is you eat it's like oh man that is so good that exclamation of wow, is this taste so good this is what paul's doing here but it's way better Paul says he'll bring me safely into his kingdom. Oh, man, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is why doxologies exist. This is why Paul uses them. Because when you think of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God and the the, the place that you will go to be with him, you're just overcome. Paul can't control himself. You look at the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness and you think you're going to see him. One day it's so good you can taste it and you just shout, praise the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. For Paul, it is natural to see God's glory because that's where his gaze is fixed. He's not looking at the bars. He's not looking at the dirt. He's seeing the stars where your heart is. If you live by faith, not by sight, you will see his glory in all of your life. Paul doesn't lack anything in his little prison cell in Rome. That's why all this leads up to, up to verse 22. Everything Paul just says, when he says it again in verse 22, the Lord be with you. Everything he said about himself up to this point, he desires for Timothy. Paul is not saying this as if he doesn't know. Paul is saying this in confidence. This is a benediction, a declaration of fact. The Lord be with you. This could also be translated, the Lord is with you. The Lord was with Paul when no one else was. The Lord will bring him into glory. And the Lord is also with you, Timothy, just like he's with me. Don't forget, this in the Greek is in the singular. This is the most important thing a young pastor needs. The Lord is with you. My Lord is your Lord, Timothy. He's with you every saint needs to hear this individually the lord is with you every pastor is carried on in ministry by this encouragement the lord is with you this is why paul looks to the glory that is to come and he reminds timothy remember verse 8 henceforth from now on there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous um, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only me but also to all who have loved his appearing it is ever before paul's eyes he wants it to be before timothy's eyes the lord is with you the crown is waiting for you love christ look to his appearing and the lord will be with your spirit this is intentional what does paul say here with your spirit timothy's strength will not come from his own will or his own abilities, but he will be carried upon by the Holy Spirit, united with his spirit who indwells in him. This is not an external strength. This is not you con- something you conjure up in your, your muscles and your fibers and your veins. This is internal. This is part of the new creation in Christ. This is where our strength comes from when we have nothing left to draw on. When we have no one to look to, when everyone deserts us, the Lord be with your spirit. This is the internal comfort, the peace that passes understanding. You will have trials, Jesus told us, but in me, you will have peace. I sent my spirit to be with your spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit who testifies that we've been born again, that we've been sealed in Christ, and that we will be preserved to the end. The Holy Spirit is the witness. And the guarantee of our salvation. This is what Paul says to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. That's the singular. The exhortation to the pastor. This beautiful little phrase. Right after it is in the plural. Grace be with all of you. To everyone in the church. God's grace again. Paul's not saying this. As if this might happen. This is a benediction of fact. Take heart in this beautiful reminder. Grace be with you. Paul is promising. He is pronouncing. Grace be with you. Grace is with you. And so when the church at Ephesus and this church hears this, here's what we hear. We are saved by his grace. We continue in his grace. Christ himself is the fountain of grace upon grace. He does not change. The same yesterday Today and forever, his grace is amazing and unfailing. Grace be with you because grace is with you. I want to do something um, that I think would be helpful, this kind of theme of stopping and thinking and stopping and reflecting. I want to read lyrics, very familiar words to a beloved hymn. I know we sing it, and we love it. We sang it over there in Intercessory Prayer earlier. It's a full plug. The rest of you missed out. Um, But I want you to hear this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? And finally, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. That grace that brought me saved thus far, or excuse me, this grace has brought me safe thus far, and it is grace who leads me home. Brothers and sisters, finally, remember, you don't have to have the dramatic conversion or eventful ministry of Paul, but you are saved by the same grace. Rescued from the same evil, kept by the same Lord, and you are headed to the same heavenly kingdom. So run and keep running, because Christ has run before you and with you. There is one Lord, one faith, so we should have the same confidence. So this Timothy wants you to know like that Timothy, the Lord is with your spirit. Grace be with you.